Breakfast Business with Enterprise Ireland on News Talk. Exactly six months ago, the world woke up to the news that Russian troops had crossed the border into Ukraine. The invasion had begun. A new European war was on our doorstep. And in that time, thousands of Ukrainians have died and millions displaced. It has ruined lives and turned the global economy upside down. We're going to take stock today on the impact of the awful war um, on Ukraine, on Russia, on Europe and on the world economy. I'm joined by my pretty illustrious panel. Mati Masikas is the EU ambassador to Ukraine who joins us live from Kiev. James Waterhouse is the BBC's Ukraine correspondent, uh, also live in Kiev. And Jason Corcoran is an Irish journalist and expert on Russia. Um, good morning, everyone. Um, Mati, can I start with you, please? Uh, you're the EU ambassador uh, to... Uh, oh, so we don't have Mati. Let's go straight to James then. Um, James, you were posted to Kiev at the end of last year. I'm guessing you thought it would be quite different than it turned out to be, especially six months ago. I, 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 that's pretty much an understatement, Joe. I think that's, it, it, it really was. I mean, the... I remember the BBC bosses saying, look, it's quiet. If you want to go there for three months to reflect the, the the crisis there. And I thought crisis is doing a lot of heavy lifting, but fine. But I didn't really think much more of it. And then I arrived in mid-January when the streets were sort of snowy and icy. And I expected to arrive at a city with a heavy military presence, with checkpoints, with reinforced defences, given that at this time, Russia was gathering tens of thousands of troops and had been doing so for the past eight months all around Ukraine's vast borders. And yet, this was a country that, A, refused to change, and B, was already at war. That's what many people told you, with Russia backing separatists in the east, somewhere that was about 500 miles away from where I was, as well as having annexed Crimea in the south. So it became a story of words and heightening rhetoric where the West were using more urgent language, warning of something more sinister about to happen. And then Volodymyr Zelensky would be saying, look, there's no intelligence to suggest that will. And then, of course, on the 24th of February, I woke up to, with millions of other people, the faint sound of thuds um, came up onto the roof and could just see a skyline that I'd grown so used to sort of go dark um, you could see the occasional plume of dark smoke you could hear the sound of aircraft fighter jets overhead above the clouds it wasn't clear what side they were on and then the streets all of a sudden became full of people queuing for cash cash points to get their money out the highways were rammed full of cars trying to escape southwards or southwesterly as the russian advance moved in from the south and then online you had these images of low-flying Russian helicopters as they tried to storm the Hostomel airbase. The pace of events was such that it was impossible to, to, to keep up with. And I think it, it was quite some time before one was able to kind of keep keep pace with events. You talked about the um, Ukrainian attitude, James. Uh, they, they basically didn't want to know what the Americans were telling them. All the security briefings from the Americans saying the Russians are going to invade Vladimir Zelensky and the Ukrainians refused, but then they then they changed. On the 24th of February, they changed and they turned into a resistance that few people in Western Europe um, expected. I, I don't think we can overstate it enough. The, the depth of Ukrainian resolve and the level of resistance they 
put up shocked the world, not least Russia. Um, but when you speak to people, and I spoke to people in the build-up, they would say, but yes, I will fight. Of course I would fight. Old, young, male, female, they said they would fight. Um, and then, But it's easy to say that you'd fight, James, but uh, yeah, they, actually, they actually did. That say that. Yes, exactly. You know, people do sort of say that as a throwaway comment in the world of sport or wherever outside the pub. But the, these people, they say it with an air of calm that really stays with you. And, and the sight of thousands of people queuing up at territorial defence offices on the 24th of February, where they showed ID and then were given an automatic weapon and were, had a yellow bit of tape wrapped around their arm, will, will always stay with me. But it was nervous. These people weren't trained soldiers. But I think in tandem with that, you had a Ukrainian military that had been receiving a lot of Western training and equipment in the previous eight years. So it was a vastly improved force. But of course, the best soldiers were stationed in the east, dealing with this volatile front line in the Donbass, which was a part of the country that many thought Russia would, if it was to escalate, it would be there. And yet, Russia moved its forces, a sizable chunk of forces into Belarus, its ally, and moved almost south as well as north from Crimea unchallenged. And I think Volodymyr Zelensky, war hero as he is, is now starting to be on the receiving end of some scrutiny over, as you say, Joe, his decision not to act on Western warnings uh, that something was going to happen. Yeah, and, and the Washington Post has been briefing about what the Americans were telling them. I'm going to bring in Jason Corcoran, who has lived in Russia for many, many years, speaks the language, and is something of an expert on the country. You're an Irishman, Jason. What was it like in Russia um, when the invasion happened? I know they didn't call it an invasion. They called it a special operation. Indeed. Good morning, Joe. Yeah, it was called a special military operation, and it still is to this day. But if you call it a war, potentially you could face 15 years in, in prison under under new uh, Zakon, new law. Um, initially, uh, people uh, were in d- denial that there was a war, the people that I spoke to, friends and contacts on the ground. But it wasn't until really the response from the the Western international community We've seen something like 11,000 sanctions being imposed on Russia and Russian companies in response to their invasion of Russia, uh, sorry, Ukraine. And um, the economy now is in a dire state. There is long-term structural uh, suffering uh, on the Russian economy. You've got sectors like aviation and the car industry on their knees, places like Leningrad and Zaluga, which would have been home to many foreign manufacturers of cars, uh, are, are now being mothballed. Now, the the sanctions, uh, as you say, they're starting to kick in. Um, and yet Russia, Jason, has been able to benefit from soaring energy prices because it is a petro-state. It is dependent mm-hmm. on gas and oil sales. And the West continue to get full supply. And it wasn't until uh, June that uh, they start, the Russians started turning off some of the taps, supposedly for service. But it's, it's only now that we're starting to see the European dependence. Yeah, no, the, the higher prices for oil exports have absolutely cushioned the impact of Western sanctions. Uh, but the hardship is, is now emerging for, for Russians. Uh, you have um, the oil and gas is still flowing, and even even coal is, is still flowing westward. 
but uh, this, the, the sanctions are kicking in for oil and diesel, and Russia is, of course, trying to um, to move those oil exports to towards India and China uh, at huge discounts. Uh, th- that's okay while uh, commodity prices are at record highs, but as as I think we head into a global recession, uh, global growth will will fade, and the prices for commodity prices will come down, and they can't maybe find long term markets. And then they can't uh, turn the gas eastward so easily. You have to build new gas pipelines to China because the capacity isn't there. Yes, and we're marking the six-month anniversary since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. I'm speaking to James Waterhouse, the BBC's Ukraine correspondent, Jason Corcoran, an Irish journalist, an expert on Russia. And we're hoping to get the EU ambassador to Ukraine. We're having problems getting in touch with uh, Mati Masikas. Uh, James, can I go to you? Uh, do ordinary Ukrainians worry that the West will blink once energy prices really start to soar this winter and it's affecting their pockets? They absolutely do. I think both politically and when you speak to people on the streets, it is one of the single most important things to them. I remember being on Independence Square in January and there were demonstrations uh, supporting the countries who had pledged support and uh, some offensive slogans aimed towards Germany over its hesitancy to send lethal aid. And that hasn't really changed, even with the outbreak of war. And I think when Boris Johnson announced he was going to retire, when after the UK had been one of the biggest military supporters, that was met with a lot of nerves inside President Zelensky's government, because it is clear that with the cost of living crisis engulfing so many countries because of attempted embargoes on Russian energy, um, that will put pressure on Western leaders from their electorates. And as far as Ukraine is concerned, it feeds into that loop of this is another thing Russia is responsible for because the level of help it's received from Western countries, while significant, while it has destabilised long-held territories like Crimea with longer-range missile strikes, it is still adding to this military status quo. It is allowing Ukraine to hold its line, but it will take something seismic for Ukraine to achieve its dream, its ultimate goal of repelling Russia completely. Okay, I'm glad to say that we finally have the EU ambassador to Ukraine, Mati Masikas, who joins us uh, also from Kyiv. Uh, good morning, Mati. Can I ask you about that EU resolve, that European resolve? Do you think it is rock solid? Or could, for example, next month, the election of an Italian far-right government weaken that resolve? Good morning, Dublin. The situation is so clear and so great. A nuclear power has attacked its neighbor in Europe with no reason, no justification. Uh, and, uh, and the EU's resolve has been so solid and clear and quick that I don't see that wavering. People and politicians do understand the gravity of the situation. Even if energy prices soar in the wintertime and people are paying huge amounts of money to heat their homes? I find it hard to uh, to imagine uh, a, a link there uh, that could... Um, that could uh, shake 
the uh, the result still i mean if if it if it if it only and if it only were that easy that by easing some sanctions uh the your your heating bill for next month uh, will uh, will uh, decrease do you worry do you worry um that um uh, that Ukraine can only s- sustain this war for so much longer and uh, Europe will change its mind and be distracted with something else. And as a result, we could have this f- another frozen conflict like we have in Georgia, which could have long-term consequences for the continent. And while I have you on the line as well, um, James Waterhouse in Ukraine from the BBC said there are kind of anti-German slogans uh, in this, on the streets of Kiev because they've been so slow to provide arms to Vladimir Zelensky. Yes, yesterday uh, Germany announced a new package uh, of military assistance to Ukraine, uh, uh, 500 million euro. Uh, so this is a very good and and welcome news. Um, the EU's, I mean, if you if you look at if you look at what the EU collectively has done, how how the EU has responded to this crisis, right? uh, imposing imposing uh, very strong and crippling sanctions against Russia, including in areas that actually nobody thought it would be possible, like de-swifting banks and also extending uh, the sanctions to the area of energy. Uh, In an unprecedented move, um, abolished all quotas and tariffs, uh, customs tariffs to Ukraine's import to the EU. And of course, uh, military aid, 2.5 billion and the most important thing, the EU has risen to the geopolitical challenge and granted Ukraine a candidate status, opened the EU's door officially uh, to Ukraine. It's again something that nobody, even on the 23rd of February, nobody was was ready to discuss even. So Ukraine's turning from the east to the west is the biggest geopolitical shift of our times in Europe. Well, on and that, the, on that, and po- the EU has risen to that challenge. And on that positive note, unfortunately, we have to bring it to an end. Um, time has uh, has elapsed. Uh, thank you, Mati Masikas, the EU ambassador to Ukraine. Thank you, James Waterhouse, the BBC's Ukraine correspondent, and thank you to Jason Corcoran, uh, Irish expert on Russia. Breakfast business with Enterprise Ireland on News Talk.